0: Hi there, listeners. It's Farnoosh. And I just want to say I'm really honored that you've chosen to subscribe to So Money. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there. The fact that you're here is not lost on me. Now, if you're enjoying these episodes and you're benefiting from the advice and you want more, I've actually created something really special for us. It's called the So Money Members Club. It's an online platform where you can connect more closely with me and engage with fellow So Money fans who want to become more empowered in their financial lives. The website is somoney members.com. And when you go there, you'll learn all the benefits, including exclusive monthly finance workshops, private group calls with me. You get your questions answered in our member community. I'm often in there weighing in. And you get instant access to all of our workshop recordings. We have a robust library that's growing so far. We've had workshops on investing in real estate, kids and money, and how to earn more in 2024. And most of all, it's fun, positive, encouraging, all the things personal finance should be. Go to somoneymembers.com and I hope you'll join us. I'm limiting enrollment and doors will close soon. Check out somoneymembers.com. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. Hosting the So Money podcast for almost 10 years, I've been learning a lot about how to best serve you outside the show. I've begun to offer pop-up workshops and a So Money members club. And with each new line of business, a lot goes on behind every transaction. Stripe helps simplify and ease payments with Tap to Pay on iPhone, which helps me grow revenue and reach through accepting more in-person contactless payments when I'm out in real life promoting my programs. Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe give me the ability to scale quickly Quickly and stay flexible with quick setup and no additional hardware required. And it's not just ideal for me. From local pop-ups to global retailers, Tap2Pay on iPhone and Stripe help businesses of all sizes accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. Whether your customers want to use their card, Apple Pay, or other digital wallet, now you can accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. To learn how Tap2Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tapiphone so money episode 1613 why the american dream is dead sorry with vivian too author of rich af
1: you're listening to so money with award-winning money guru farnoosh Karabi. each day get a 30 minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds authors influencers and from farnoosh herself Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life?
0: Welcome to So Money.
1: Media is always dramatized, right? Wolf of Wall Street is exciting because they are popping champagne in the office and you know throwing cash off of yachts. There's no movie to be made about the person who invested wisely, lived within their means, and relaxed at home. Nobody's watching that movie.
0: Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh, and our guest today says the American dream is dead. She also says that the key to being rich is getting a little lazy. Financial guru Vivian Tu is here with many more hot takes, and an inside look at her brand new book called Rich AF, The Winning Money Mindset That Will Change Your Life. You may know Vivian already. She's the wildly popular financial creator on TikTok, where she squashes the age-old crusty notions of financial wellness that no longer work in a world where a college degree can cost half a million dollars and new home ownership is all but out of reach. Vivian is a first-generation Asian-American woman who has some stories about growing up, as well as her first job on Wall Street. This was a fun interview. Here's Vivian Two. Vivian Two, welcome to So Money, and congrats on your first of many books, I will predict. Rich AF, listeners, you can figure out the acronym. Welcome to So Money. Thank you so much for having me, and it's so good to see you again. I know. Last week, got together. The first and last time we were hanging out was, uh, I think, in the East Village somewhere or Soho. No, in New York. I took you to my spot. Oh my Cha-cha-mata. gosh. You introduced me to Chai Tea, which I hadn't really, I mean, maybe once or twice in my life, but that was a memorable moment. Thanks for making yeah. time for me. <laughs> I mean, I've been a fan. I've been watching you all during the pandemic rise to celebrity financial status on TikTok and everywhere else. So this is our opportunity for really getting into your journey, your advice for your audience, your millions and millions of, uh, of video watchers and listeners and followers. Your new book is called Rich AF. And I kind of want to start with why you wanted to write a book? You have so much going on. Why a book? I mean, people can find you everywhere. You have so much material everywhere. Um, why was it important for you to create this now in, in your career trajectory?
1: Yeah. Because I think the content that I create right now, short form wise, is helpful. It, it is. Every single piece is typically actionable advice, something that'll make you smarter, better, faster, stronger. But <laughs> I kept getting questions that were like, hey, like, do you have these like organized in a to do list? Like, I should watch this video first, then this video, then this, then this, then this. Because my audience is so varying in that some are young college students who are just trying to understand money for the first time. Some are, you know, yuppies. Some are heads of households. Some are parents. Some are closer to retirement. And I have to create content that really works for as many people as possible on a daily basis. So it's not necessarily linear. And people kept asking me for a linear guide of, hey, if I have no idea what to do, where to start, how to get my finances under control, like, what do I do? And that's what really prompted the book because it felt like a super easy step-by-step way to walk folks through the information frankly that I wish I had had in my early 20s. Um, I made so many money mistakes, but now that I've learned from those and you know dinged my credit score and uh hurt myself in the process, like I don't want people to make those same mistakes. Yeah. And I think having this captive audience, I wanted to give them something that they could tangibly hold or listen to. Uh, that would help them go from A to Z on their financial journey,
0: and you certainly do that, and with such great voice, I mean, part of what really magnetizes people to you is your candor and your sort of like you break down really complex things in ways that are digestible in your book, which i'm I'm paging through, and I'm really enjoying it. You begin your I think your first or second sentence, which is important because how an author starts out a book, yeah. I think is sort of like setting the tone, right? and you say. The American dream is dead. Yeah, which is a very bold statement, and I, I don't disagree. But what do you think has replaced? If there has anything replaced that that feeling of aspiration, because like whatever the American dream that our parents grew up with, different than the American dream today. But is there a dream still? And what is that dream?
1: Yeah, I think one the American dream is dead, and I say that because I feel like. It is no longer possible to work your way to rich. I think this country is founded on the principle that if you wake up every day and bust your booty and work hard, you should be able to have a good life. You should be able to keep a roof over your and your family's head. You should be able to put food on the table. And even ever so often, you know, God forbid, enjoy your life, go on vacation, do something cool. And it's getting harder and harder. Mm-hmm. And we've all seen the headlines. The middle class is shrinking, right? It's, it's harder and harder to make ends meet on a one-income household, on a one-income salary. Um, and I think the dream has changed in the fact that it used to be, let me have my white picket fence house with my two and a half kids and my golden retriever. I work this nine to five and I get to retire eventually with a big old, pension and live my happy life. It doesn't look like that at all anymore. Mm-hmm. Some people want to retire at 30 and never wear shoes and live out of an airstream and travel across the U.S. Not my dream. I, I need a home that's not on wheels. Um, <laughs> but some people want, you know, to retire more traditionally at 60. They want to help their kid go through college. They want to have a vacation home. Everybody's dream is starting to look a little different. Wisteria Lane isn't really a thing anymore. Um, and on top of that, it is getting harder to get to that dream, especially if you aren't financially literate and you aren't investing.
0: Mm. So that's it, right? It's in the, you don't work your way to rich, you invest your way to rich. Is that kind of the new model?
1: A little bit. And I would say, you know, one of the hot things that I say, another hot take of mine is that rich people, we've been sold this myth that they are harder, better workers than we are. They're mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. Rich people are so lazy. All they want to do is <laughs> kick their feet up, chill by the pool, have a glass of lemonade and eat bonbons, but in a smart way because they've come to the realization, and I won't, I won't say they've come to the realization, they've been taught through generations that their money is a better money-making tool than their bodies for labor or their brains for a white-collar desk job. hmm They have realized that the faster they can get their money making money, the fewer hours they're going to have to labor for money. And I think that's a principle that we should all take in that it's really important to start investing early and often as much as you humanly can, because it allows you to kick your feet up sooner rather than later. And you're making money through a new stream of income that isn't tied to your job.
0: It's so interesting this concept of lazy, right? Like you, I agree that it's not about working harder, it's working smarter. And and but when anyone else but a rich person is being quote unquote lazy, that's what's keeping them broke. And yes, the irony but- is, is that you're saying that rich people who uh who quote unquote use laziness, they that's actually what's getting them to be rich. So what's the difference? What's the difference in that? Why are we so different? Why do we differentiate so poorly? Oh. Because you know what? I don't know what
1: PR agency they have, but rich people have the ultimate PR agency. This is the same agency that took mayonnaise and made it aioli. Um, <laughs> this is the same agency that, like, you know, like they just, they have gone through this full rebrand, right? When we talk about debt, When a poor person has debt, it is, you know, it's a single mom putting food at the grocery store on a credit card because she can't afford it, but she's got to feed her kids. We wag our fingers and we're like, you're so irresponsible. Debt, 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 bad, boo, huh? What about when rich people use debt for their companies? Right. You don't even call it debt. We call it leverage and we put them on magazines. And in the same way that when Regular people say, oh, "I'm so tired of working, like my back is breaking, I have a headache, whatever we're like, "You're so lazy, you don't want to work hard. You don't deserve to you know have all the things you want in life. Whereas when rich people are lazy and they know that there are better ways to make money than through human capital, we're mm-hmm. lauded. I'm putting them in my book. I mean, it, it really is how our society speaks about rich people as if they are morally superior when that isn't the case versus people who don't have money and we call them, you know, basically unethical. Like being poor is a crime.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you're quote unquote rich and you're willing to um, take out debt or you had a story in your book about, you had a colleague when you were working um, the trading desk at JP Morgan that would go to... Atlantic City and gamble the night away and come in and like he pr- chartered a private helicopter or jet to get him back to work on the company dime or whatever and you're like he's breaking all the rules but then that client that he was out with ended up making a gigantic order so he made up for it and he probably got promoted the next morning yeah. um but that guy you know I couldn't help but thinking about him right and how he's like taking these risks and maybe being like seemingly lazy but really strategic is like if things don't work out for him, he's still going to be okay. Like I'm sure he's got a nice family that's going to give him a a place to stay if things turn upside down for him. And I think that's the difference sometimes when people who are of not of sort of, they don't come from wealthy backgrounds, so they don't even have a lot of money of their own. that they, they, Risk is a very different word for them because the implications huh. of taking risk are much more severe. And so there's this cyclical problem. How do we get out of it?
1: you know, I think this comes into a lot of like abundance versus scarcity. And yes, it's a mindset, but to your point, it's also a very, very legitimate lived experience, right? Like the risk of someone who has very little money starting a new startup could literally be them being homeless, being unhoused. Whereas if you know that, you know, you could spend every dollar in your bank account and go into debt, but... Mom and dad have a trust fund waiting for you that you start to get access to at 21, then again at 30, then again at, you know, 40. Like you're not that worried. I I say this from a very big place of privilege. Like the reason why I was able to start your rich BFF was because I looked my fiance in the eye and I said, "What if I can't make any money?" And he said, "Well, I work in investment banking. We will never starve on my salary." And you know, that gave me so much comfort because I knew that I would never get kicked out of my apartment. Sure. We wouldn't be able to go out to eat or take Ubers or go on vacation. We would have to just buy groceries and cook ourselves and take the subway. But like the stakes were just not that high. The stakes are never that high when you come from a position of optionality. And that unfortunately is when you don't have money, you don't have options. Mm.
0: And so you're teaching people in your book about how to access that optionality, how to think a little bit more strategically and how to erase this American dream equation and rewrite it for themselves. And I love that you give people more options, new options they've never even heard of that have been tried and tested by the quote unquote rich, but now you're bringing them to the masses. You learned this because of a mentor. By and large, that you credit in the book, uh, tell me a little bit about that relationship and how you know you're stepping into that role now for your audience, but what was it about that specific mentor, mentee relationship that you had that changed your life?
1: For the first time, I saw someone who looked like me, who had made it, who had everything I wanted, all the things that my parents didn't have. Um, you know, At first, it was super shallow. Like, I just liked that she had a blowout in her hair every day, click clacked into work with those Gucci stilettos, new Chanel bag flung onto the, you know, counter next to her desk every day. I loved those things because that to me was an indication of success and wealth, those very, very visual, tangible, material things. But it was also the fact that on a desk of 30 to 40 white men, she had risen to the top. And it's so funny that I always say, I look up to her cause she's like five feet tall. Um, and she, she could strike fear into any other, any one of these boys on the trading desk's heart. She would be like, repeat that. And they would just shut up. They would sit down. They wouldn't say it again. They, you know, she just had this je ne sais quoi of like, powerful, successful, strong, knew her worth, had that money, didn't need anybody else. And those were all things I wanted other people to describe me as. So when she said jump, I would say how high. And the best example I think is like, my my mom is Chinese and in Chinese culture, there is a big priority placed on having fair skin. So she always would say, wear sunscreen, Vivian. You have to wear sunscreen. And I did not care. I never wore sunscreen as a kid. I was like, let it burn. I want to be tan. Everybody wants to be tan. And I think I came in one weekend with like a little bit of a sunburn. And my mentor was like, why weren't you wearing sunscreen? You have to wear sunscreen every single day. Like that's going to cause wrinkles. Like you could get skincare. Like she basically went on a tirade about how I needed to wear sunscreen. And I have worn sunscreen every single day on my face ever since. And this was the exact same advice my mom had given me. But it came from someone that, I hate to say this, but like, I had a different level of respect for.
0: And I think she gave you a better why. Your mom, I mean, I just heard you say your mom would rationalize and be like, well, because it's culturally not acceptable. You need to have fair skin. That's not what, like the standard of beauty, whatever. But this one was like, you could die. And that, you know, changed the lens. And I think that that's another takeaway from your story um, to highlight is just that when it comes to establishing goals, pursuing anything... Financial, career wise, like you really need to know what is the motivating factor. You got to be good on that, anchor it in something important. But also, yeah, we love to hear and take advice from people who aren't our parents. (laughs) (laughs) That's just the truth.
1: And, you know, I did this event where I was speaking and I had people write on note cards, like, what are you saving or investing for? What does money mean to you? And let me tell you, not a single person wrote down chanel bag not a single person wrote down you know fancy lamborghini no one said mansion you know what people wrote they wrote being able to take care of my parents in their old age setting my kid up so they had a be- they have a better life than i did it's having a home so that i can gather my family for the holidays in a place that we all feel safe and comfortable and loved and like I think it's really important to remember that like people like you and myself, like we talk about money, but money doesn't exist in a vacuum. Money is a tool and that tool, you don't just wave your money around and feel good about yourself. You trade that money for things. Sometimes it's your time back. Sometimes it's comfort and security and convenience. It's the ability to provide yourself with the life that you've dreamed of. It's not just buying a golden toy. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss.
0: Did you know that I'm a podcast host and also a mind reader? Because I know that you want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising costs of inflation, to pay off your debt or your mortgage. You want to attack pretty much anything standing in the way of you and your financial freedom, right? Well, here's one solution. More knowledge. This podcast helps, I hope. And you can use Yahoo Finance, where you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need to help reach your definition of financial freedom. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, and I know because I worked there for many years, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, customizable charts, so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. For the longest time, I dreaded buying bras. It was like shopping for jeans. Impossible. You want a bra that's sexy? You want a bra that's comfortable? You can't have both. Well, now you can, thanks to Third Love. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, the ick, the ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem or problem. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with the code PODCAST15. The weather's getting warmer. As I record, it's a nice 73 degrees on the East Coast, so... Finally, time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters, and fingers crossed hello to shorts and tees, and I need to update my wardrobe for the long haul, and you know, I don't want to spend a fortune, so luckily I found Quince. I'm honest. I've got a lineup of timeless pieces from Quince that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm talking premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and tons more. Best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. I have t-shirts from Quince, pajamas from Quince. My very chic and fashionable sister-in-law, Hannah, her whole closet is Quince. And people often stop us and ask, where did you get this? Don't tell me the price. And then when I do, they're shopping on Quince.com. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash money for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash so money to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash so money. You know, I read the book "The Psychology of Money" by Morgan Housel, mm-hmm. and by and large, his advice in the book is like: rich people get rich because they do really boring things. They invest. Yeah. They don't. Yeah. They don't overreact with their investments. It doesn't ca- paint this picture of like this brazen risk, uh, you know, oriented person. But you want your audience to take more risks. Um, but what w- in what areas, especially? Yeah, I think. One, to address your comment, like
1: media is always dramatized, right? Wolf of Wall Street is exciting because they are popping champagne in the office and, you know, throwing cash off of yachts. There's no movie to be made about the person who invested wisely, lived within their means and relaxed at home. Nobody's watching that movie. But I think there are places where we can take more risks, especially when it comes to demanding our worth, asking for a raise every single year, be ballsy about it. There's risks we can take when making calculated decisions of, hey, let me put my money in the equities market because I know I don't need to touch this for 30, 40 years. There's calculated risks to be taken when you budget and in initially set aside a certain amount of money that goes straight in to your retirement account that you can't touch without penalty for the next 30, 40, 50, like, you know, however many years. There's power in that, in taking those risks. Because ultimately, statistically speaking, those risks, for the most part, have almost always paid off. Other things, risks are not smart. Things like Concentrating your entire investment portfolio in some shit coin. Am I allowed to swear on this? Well, yeah, sure. Yeah. (laughs) You know, on some, you know, meme stock or something that we don't know has actual fundamental value, or you know, not asking for a raise or trying to play it safe. That's the biggest risk. Playing Mm -hmm. it safe for your job and not moving every two years if you don't get that raise. Like, if you don't get a raise every two years. Hmm. There was a study that showed you will make half as much over your entire lifetime. Half. Are you cool with that? Because I'm not. No. And so,
0: How are people want- getting raises right now? It feels like a very tumultuous time to be going in and asking for more yeah. with this being another banner year for tech layoffs, especially. Yeah. And a lot of us work in tech.
1: Yeah. I think I agree that the the vibe is very different than it was during the Great Resignation where you could literally snap your fingers and your boss would like do backflips to get you a raise. That said, if you are a really top-notch employee, I'm sorry, but top-notch employees get paid every year, every single year. What you need to do is have quantifiable examples of why you're worth it. Something I mentioned is, you know, creating that folder in your inbox, your brag book, forwarding any of those emails that are like, Ooh, Farnoosh saved a cat from a burning building. She's amazing. Like we couldn't have done this project without her, you know, whatever. Um, But have that laundry list of things. And I would say you got to start early and often. Like everybody loves to wait until November, December to be like, I've worked really hard. Can I have a raise? And it's like, where's this coming from? Your boss was just blindsided by you. No, no, no. You ask six months ahead of everybody else. You start mentioning in July Hey, like uh, these are my goals for the year. Like, I'm tracking really well towards them. Is there anything else you think I need to be doing? I would really, you know, um, I would like to see a raise of X percent commensurate to the you know level I'm currently operating at by the end of the year during final end year reviews. Make that known. Don't be annoying, but you gotta remind them every two months yeah. and make it clear that there's a couple touch points to be had. So when budgets come out from HR to your boss in October, they don't come out in December, they come out in October, then your boss has to divvy up that money between you and everybody else that works for them. Mm -hmm. And because you've already asked three times, they know it matters to you. And then you are at the top of their mind when they are actually dividing up that pie chart of what budget they have.
0: It's like campaigning for the Oscars. You You got to start early. That's right. It's so true. Um, And I love the part about asking your boss, what advice do you have for me then? like, What can Mm -hmm. I do? Because then you're really putting the ball in their court. You're getting them to be accountable now to your measure of success. And if you do all the six to 10 things they say Mm -hmm. they Mm -hmm. recommend, and then they still don't give you the raise, here's the thing. They may not give you the raise, but wouldn't it be better to know why? Right. Because then you can, well, also you can leave earlier than just keeps lingering at this company that's not going to give you a raise. I campaigned for a raise at New York One News in my early 20s when I was a producer for months and months and months, well over a year always kept saying the same thing. You're not, you're not ready. You're not, I mean, cause to, to give me more money, they'd have to promote me. They claimed, which wasn't true. My salary range was wide enough. It was, it was just this, <laughs> you were in the it was a, it was an abyss and I was like at the very far left of it. And so finally after, you know, it's good to get those no's, you know why? Because the sooner you can get out, And the sooner I did get out and I used the knowledge that I had of that salary range at that company and leveraged it at the next company when I negotiated. So it's scary to ask and you may feel like you're being too eager, too hasty, too, too, too much asking soon like you recommend and not around reviews time. But then the sooner you'll get your answer, the yes or the no, and the sooner you can plan for your next move. Mm -hmm.
1: Exactly. And I also just think that a lot of people, especially if they've developed a close relationship with their manager, can feel bad asking. They're like, oh, no, like I don't want to make them uncomfortable. I don't want to upset them. Like They like me. Like That money is not coming out of your boss's paycheck into yours. That money comes out of a corporate banking account, literally set aside for labor costs, you are allowed to ask for money. This is not the first time somebody has asked your boss for money. It's not the smallest number, it's not the biggest number. You know, very much pedicure principle. Your feet are not the gnarliest or the best or anything that that pedicurist has
0: seen. Like you can ask. That is your boss's job. You uh, went straight into Wall Street, I think, right after college. You were adamant about making a lot of money, unapologetic about that. I love it. I mean, why else does somebody yeah. go work on Wall Street? Because yeah, it's yeah. fun? No, because it's there's a big payday waiting yeah, for you. Fourteen
1: hours a day is fun. No, I'd rather literally be doing anything else.
0: Right, <laughs> and you, it was it was a bit of a short lived experience, but you learned a lot, and you're parlaying that into your education to your audience. But my curiosity is, what drew you to wanting to make so much money? Um, at at a young age, not everybody has that ambition. What what drove you?
1: Um, I think just seeing how my family lived and grew up. Um, my family's financial situation changed quite a lot through my years, um, and it was abundantly clear because of where and how we lived. Like when I was in. Early grade school, my dad actually worked out of New Jersey and would drive down to Maryland where we lived on the weekends because he couldn't find a job in Maryland that paid enough to help us make ends meet. Um, things got better for them eventually, but we were I would say solidly middle class uh, through you know mid level. And the game changer, and frankly, this is why I was able to graduate from college without any student debt. Um, My parents were actually thinking about taking out a second mortgage on their home to help me pay for school because they had emphasized to me over and over again that education was like the, the key to socioeconomic mobility. And my mom ended up getting a pharmaceutical consulting gig out in California. So she would live in California and come back to Maryland to see my dad every two weeks, or he would come out to California and see her for every two weeks. But that job changed my family's financial situation to the point where they were able to buy a home and put me through school. And their relationship through uh, with money, even throughout all of those changes was always the same. There's this, my my family's from Shanghai and there's the Shanghainese phrase that's like which is like uh, directly translates to like money needs to be used on the knife's edge. Um, but it just means that like you should only spend money when you absolutely need to. And the biggest fight I ever got into with my parents was over a pair of ripped Abercrombie and Fitch jeans. And I came home from the mall with a friend and my mom saw the receipt in the bag and was like, "Are you joking? You spent this much on ripped jeans?" And the only thing I could think to say was like, "Well, you know, my my girlfriend got like a pair too." And it like I think it like really hurt her to say this to me, but my mom said, "Well, her dad's a lawyer. Your parents aren't millionaires. Like we can't afford this." And I ran up to my room and I was crying in my little like middle school teen angst. And I made a like conscious, there was like a conscious shift in my mind. And I was like, I never ever want to be told I can't have something because of money ever again. And that's not something that I can address now as a 13 year old, but I'm never going to be want for anything ever again. I was like, that's the goal to make a ungodly amount of money so that I can live and do whatever I want. And live and do whatever I want from jump when I graduated meant designer goods and going on fancy vacations. And as I've gotten older and have more and more money, live and do whatever I want is like setting my own schedule, going to bed at 9 p.m. Nobody calls me on weekends. And it's funny how things change, but I think... I've always had an appreciation for money because we just didn't have a lot of it growing up
0: yeah and as my immigrant mom would say and I'm sure she would have be she would have been friends with your mom um, <laughs> that it all worked out you know so yeah. it, it, their parenting style technique if we can call it that uh, <laughs> you know it got yeah. to you to, to some extent to where you are I had I remember feeling in a similar way like uh, at a young age, recognizing that money would be a ticket to freedom. Whereas I don't think a lot of other kids were even thinking about that. Like they didn't even, you know, they didn't even know what money was, but I was like, I had such an early experience and early education on the limiting resource that is money and the fights that can ensue when there is a limited resource called money in your household and one parent works and another one doesn't. And yeah, so it did work out, but I don't recommend this, uh, as a a parenting style. Um, They didn't
1: want to get out of their house as bad as we did. I wanted to leave my hometown and never look back. Like I had dreams of living in a big city and not the suburbs. I wanted to get away from everyone. I just felt like no one understood me. And I just feel like we come from a place of almost like, I don't want to say desperation because like I always had food on the table, always had a roof over my head. I'm very grateful for that. But like, I was desperate to have a very different life than the one mm-hmm. my parents had,
0: yeah. Um, you talk in the book about you know these bad. That advice that a lot of personal finance folks give, have given over the generations. I mean, we've kind of covered a bit a few of them already, but one that I um that I was sort of stuck on was that you can't just like switch your job to make more money. Like that's sort of an impractical, you know, you need to make more money, just go to another employer. And certainly we've taught, you I mean there is a benefit to leveraging and going to different companies. And, you know, they say like, if you can't make like millions of dollars staying at one company your whole life, I mean, unless you become the CEO. Um, So how do you make do if you can't jump from one place to another as easily as others? Um, Do you get a side hustle?
1: Yeah, I really like the idea of side hustles, but I want to differentiate between three words that are starting to really blend. Um, Passion project, side hustle, and second job. So... Passion project is like you do something for fun. You don't need to monetize. Just because you like to crochet does not mean you need to open an Etsy store. It is okay to have hobbies. Um, unfortunately, none of mine are monetizable. Like I just really like napping and like <laughs> eating. Um, but a side hustle is something that you do for a temporary period of time to meet a short term, typically uh, cash need. It can become a long term supplemental piece of income, but you really got to like it. But side hustles are easy because they're typically low barrier to entry. And to find a good side hustle, you want to make sure that it has very, very low startup costs. So this can be something as easy as wag. You go and you show up to somebody's house, you pick up their Pomeranian, you walk around the block a couple times. This can be something like, oh, I go and, um, You know, help out at this one local cafe uh, on weekends. And it's just kind of like a fun thing. I bake some cookies, like they, you know, they pay me a little bit. Great. A second job is something that is contractual. It is the same as your first job. And it can, frankly, make your life a lot harder because you now have to juggle the schedules of your second and your first job. Mm -hmm. You do not get to decide when you work. It's not okay if you just don't show up one day. Like you can decide, hey, I don't feel like walking on WAG today. Okay, you're not in trouble. You sign up for the the gigs that you want. Um, This can really be tricky because side hustling can be both very lucrative, but also very draining, which is why I like to say it's typically a temporary thing. Say you have an upcoming wedding, say you have, <laughs> AKA me, um, say you have an upcoming big purchase like a vacation that you want to pay for or a down payment you want to make on a car or a down payment you want to make on a house. Side hustles are a great way to get there because you only have to hustle for a few months to really help you hit certain goals. Right. With the rise of side hustles, you don't need to switch jobs as often. Um that's not to say I don't think you should be looking externally all the time. You should always have one foot out the door because, sorry, companies are selfish and you gotta be selfish too. You gotta look out for number one. But it gives you flexibility. If you want to stick around an extra six months and see if your manager can make that 15% raise that they promised happen, you you now have the flexibility to do that. So I think a side hustle is the happy medium between a second job and doing something outside of work where you don't get paid.
0: I met a woman during the pandemic at one of my daughter's like gymnastics classes, we became friends, and she worked in finance and she said she had a second full-time job because she could. Because it was all virtual. Yeah, so she yeah. was literally like I mean, I think the Wall Street Journal wrote about that. That's not actually yeah. I think you could probably get in a lot of trouble if your company found out. Um but she was like, "Well, I can. I'm going to" because my one full-time job. I I can just like, you know, clock it in. It's really, I can do it in my sleep. It pays well, it benefits. The other one is, is a little bit more work, but like, whatever, it all balances out to maybe 50 hours a week with these two jobs. During the pandemic, I want to preface when it was all like a mess and, you know, it was there now was probably that. less possible. Um, I don't want to out her, but it was two different financial institutions. Yeah. So she was making two Wall Street salaries. Did you see that uh, headline that was
1: like, many people who are working from home are making upwards of $600,000 because
0: they have those two jobs and are just scheduling meetings differently? That was her. That was what, I I mean. mean, (laughs) Yeah, seriously. There's actually, but you made me laugh because there's, um, you said, you can't make money from napping, but there are some really crazy side I was just reading about in, I don't know if it was like, I want to say it was, um, Somewhere in Asia, it was in I don't know, it was one of those, I was scrolling on Instagram and it was like you can make money. So people get stuck in traffic a lot, right? You get stuck in traffic like let's say on a bridge, there's no out, there's no exit. And you're like late for a job appointment. You call this company or you go on the app. Somebody with a moped comes and meets you, takes you to your job interview or wherever you have to go, and then somebody else who's also on that moped now gets in your car and takes it to wherever you need whenever this traffic subsides. Do you get it? Yes. So like yes. that, so if you have a moped and I think this could be helpful in all over the world, wherever there is traffic, because how many times yeah. have you been in traffic and you're like, well, I'm going to miss my flight or I'm going to miss my job interview or I'm going to miss, you know, daycare pickup. Versus like, versus like those movies where like the,
1: the hero or heroine just leaves their rental car at the curb with the fucking keys running inside and you're like, ah, sorry. You can yeah. hire, actually drop it off at the lot so you don't get the fee.
0: Well, I was actually, I, I I did a live podcast and the guest who was a celebrity, she was driving in and couldn't find parking and we were running late. So we were like, okay, someone's going to come meet you to release you from your car. You have to, and then you're going to have to come in and then we'll go and park it for you because this is the only way the show is going to go on. But yeah. next time I'll have to use the app. There, there should be an app for that. That's genius. Million dollar idea right there. And lots more billion dollar ideas in your book, Rich AF, Vivian 2, Your Rich BFF. Thank you so much for hanging out with us and sharing some really, really fantastic stories. And I love your advice. I think it's important. And as you say, and as everyone knows, very much needed for this generation. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much to Vivian for joining us. Her book again is called Rich AF, The Winning Money Mindset That Will Change Your Life. I'll see you back here on Friday for Ask Farnoosh. Be sure to send me your questions. It's very easy. Just DM me on Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi, or you can go to somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh and submit your question there. It goes straight to my inbox. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope your day is so money. Hosting the So Money podcast for almost 10 years, I've been learning a lot about how to best serve you outside the show. I've begun to offer pop-up workshops and a So Money members club. And with each new line of business, a lot goes on behind every transaction. Stripe helps simplify and ease payments with Tap to Pay on iPhone, which helps me grow revenue and reach through accepting more in-person contactless payments when I'm out in real life promoting my programs. Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe give me the ability to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup and no additional hardware required. And it's not just ideal for me. From local pop-ups to global retailers, Tap2Pay on iPhone and Stripe help businesses of all sizes accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. Whether your customers want to use their card, Apple Pay, or other digital wallet, now you can accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. To learn how Tap2Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tapiphone.